Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike, in a moment for another stop along the Oscars Road and Oscars Race Checkpoint that is chock full of all sorts of industry news and new trailers and film festival and, and previewing film festival award shows and yada, 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 Michael. Yeah, I think there's enough for at least two episodes here, but there was also like just a news dump of more trailers and yeah. more news and all this other stuff. That's going to be on next episode because it just dumped today and we don't have time to prepare that today. <laughs> we Are prepare- we getting like, just more into the awards stuff? Like, I don't remember yeah. there being this much awards related news. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I mean, the WG, the, the guild set their dates. So we got mm-hmm. four new trailers, Matrix Resurrections. All that will be in the next episode. Last night in Soho trailer, I think. I mean, we both watch it. Maybe we'll talk about it. But we we have we have the Come On, Come On, Belfast trailer, Don't Look Up. We put those into this episode, like, you know, last minute. But mm-hmm. uh, we, we can't fit anything else. It's just too much to talk about. We do have 12 pages or so of stuff here that we're going to fit into about an hour's worth of your time. So I guess no more ado is needed. Let's jump right in and talk about some Academy Awards related news. Yeah, we referred to it on our in our Shang-Chi episode, Mike. Adam Bentz of Screen Rant wrote a fascinating piece covering two rumored changes to the Oscars broadcast. One, they're going to announce some categories like the short films during commercial breaks. Mm-hmm. Film Twitter's not happy, and I don't blame them. And then two, quote, additional changes will be made in an attempt to make the Oscars more of a celebration of film and less about specific films competing against one another for awards. What's the biggest award of the night? Best what? Oh, <laughs> picture. So one, best, one, yeah. So one actor, one movie. Yeah, okay, I got you. No, what are the photos sense. for the uh, actors? What are those called? What do you mean? Every actor has a photo that they give around in the business. Oh, like their, uh, their, uh, um, Jesus Christ. This is how this is best headshot. Yeah. And the Academy Award to best (laughs) headshot in your 90s goes to Anthony Hopkins. Uh, yeah. There you go. That was a long way, dad joking way to get to (laughs) that. Long road to travel for that joke, Uh but we, we got there. Um, I don't think anybody cares about TV ratings in 2021 as much and as passionately as the Academy and professional wrestling fans. Those are the two segments that actually care deeply about ratings as much as these two segments do. But okay, so the COVID Oscars part one which happened this past April, lost more than 50% of the previous year's viewing audience and was far and away the least watched in history. Uh, We reported when it happened that the first numbers were that 9.8 million people watched. And then once uh, final reports came out, it turned out that number was around 10.4 million total viewership. So really bad numbers, but a really weird year, obviously. Mm -hmm. So in response... According to Screen Rant, which is citing former Hollywood reporter and entertainment lawyer uh, Matthew Baloney here, 
Next month, the Board of Governors meeting is expected to propose some new changes to the Oscars broadcast, including, like you said, presenting some lower-on-the-card awards out during commercials or in the pre-show and making the show more of a celebration of film and less about one movie versus another movie with an eye on the Academy's, quote, increasingly niche tastes. And of course, by niche tastes, we mean blame the short films, right? (laughs) What we've always never said. 10 million viewers drop off because three short filmmakers give five minutes of speeches once a year. And what are the only three categories that nobody can predict, mm-hmm. uh, and that the only they're the only three categories won every year by up and comers, mm-hmm. and let's get rid of them from the broadcast and those moments of suspense because they can't be good, right? The two distant strangers guys can't come out and make one of the speeches of the night, right? <laughs> at, 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 at a slog of an award show where everything else is predictable, right? Right, exactly. So, mm. like most things. When the Academy pitches within themselves behind closed doors, prying to those ideas, making it to the public, this sounds like a disaster to me, and I think to you as well. Like, the awards thing, it's sad to say, but whatever. It's it's something the Academy has had an eye on for a while, right? and if they're passionate enough about it as they seem to be, they're going to end up changing it one way or another. And they tried this a few years ago. They tried to do this very thing, and Film Twitter went into an uproar over it and started the you know hashtag present all twenty four, which went viral, and eventually the idea was dropped. But obviously, that happened in a different world before we were all dealing with the death of theaters and the daily onslaught of a deadly viral pandemic. So maybe the Academy thinks there's be there's going to be less resistance this time around to that change. Yeah, the numbers are so down that maybe they don't get the resistance Mm -hmm. to the change this time. Maybe they have carte blanche. Maybe the people in charge, the producers in charge, are given total authority or they have a mandate to make the changes Mm -hmm. necessary. They make the tough calls, right? Right. Well, Film Twitter is going to be pissed off because when you have only 24 categories, they want you to present those 24 categories. Or Now it's 23. 23 The problem is they don't have the right categories. We've been over that. You're going to talk more about, about that in a minute. And they also don't know know how to present all 24 and look i've been on the record years ago at how i want them to present the below the line categories and that's an option to these recipients where they could have a montage about their lives if they don't want to go up there and give a john nash speech at the Mm. end of a beautiful mind if they don't want that speech if they don't want the burden of that and if they're going to go up there sweating bullets like i or you would be (laughs) and just reading off a piece of paper and terrified like we see that more often than we see uh, a sound coordinator give a great speech so it's just not their it's not their forte. So I, I had the idea of having student filmmakers make 30 or 40 second acceptance videos, montages, you know, have have it a competition at the student level, invite more up and comers, the next generation to work with the current creme de la creme of the industry and have something that shows the person's families, their co-workers, their, you know, their 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 inspirations if you want whatever they want to show you could check check it off and and make sure it's okay for a national viewing audience but you know what's not okay forcing nervous people that shouldn't be speaking at a catalina (laughs) wine mixer to entertain a national audience and i'm sorry i want them to have their moment but they shouldn't have six minutes 
of just making my skin crawl every year. It's not good TV. I agree with the Academy that it has to change, but they should still have their moments. So this seems like the short films are really getting sidelined. Yeah. If the way they, I mean, we've seen other shows do this. They just come out and say, Oh, guess who won this last award? Here's a screenshot. You know, it always feels cheap to me too. When they do that, that doesn't work. These awards were already presented earlier in the evening or off camera or on the red carpet or something. And, I, I, I mean, I don't disagree, obviously. I, I, you've also pitched the idea of like having a crawl across the bottom of the screen where they get their thank yous out of the way so that can truncate their acceptance speech if they want to, to yeah. be up there for a shorter amount of time. Maybe that's not a great idea because we're too used to that crawl with news and stuff. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of my lesser ideas. But in terms of the montage, in terms of the clip show, that's what every single sports draft does when a kid gets drafted into into the league of his dreams yeah. and becomes a multimillionaire they show a montage of the kid's family and life i mean they have this all the time uh, never mind the highlights after every single i mean this is done in the sports world all the time and i know people don't want our sports world you know crossovers but it's good TV. Yeah. Well, let's talk more about the sports word crossovers that nobody wants because <laughs> <laughs> the the other idea, look, I, I think the, the, the Academy is going to have their way on this. They want to try this new format with not presenting all 23 and they're going to try it. They're just, they seem very passionate about that. So whatever. Yeah, the idea, we'll the other idea in this, that shifting focus off of having this be a film versus film thing is insane to me. And is in and of itself a sign that the Academy's out of touch in a couple ways. The first of which I think is self-explanatory. If the Academy has niche tastes, which we know they do, mm-hmm. and the show will be a celebration of film that they want this to be, that this article suggests, what films do you think the Academy is going to be celebrating in that way? I mean, mm-hmm. this body's constant aversion to popular film is bewildering in that they do it to their own detriment more often than not. Yeah. So that's one problem, but that's more of an argumentative point. Here's a rating-centric point. Number two, don't we all love head-to-head stuff? Like, isn't the most valuable, highest-rated stuff on TV anymore live events that are competitive, especially sports? Hasn't most venues of entertainment thrive when there's a modicum of, like, respectful and, uh, I say rational tribalism, but maybe a little bit of irrational tribalism involved? Like, Red Sox versus Yankees, Celtics versus Lakers, Tom Brady versus Belichick, Breaking Bad versus The Sopranos, WWE versus AEW, country music versus rock music, Netflix versus theaters. Why would you want to strip that from your show? You shouldn't want to strip that from your show. Now, I would... I would agree with the Academy in the sense that their best case scenario is to have a juggernaut that is also a hugely popular film, like when the Lord of the Rings was there, like when Titanic was there. Those were the biggest uh, viewerships in their history in terms of the broadcast. That's, you know, that, that should be their number one goal. But the problem is, and you hit on it, there's not enough competition in the show to try and send up because the precursors build to so many formalities, so many coronations instead of so many good races. Like we get surprised. Of course we do. But when everybody out there, and it's not just the punditry, but when everybody out there can predict 60 to 70% of your show every year, that's a problem. 
And they do need to coordinate better with the precursors, I think. You do need a cascade of categories to go wide to narrow, to have different categories. You shouldn't have the same category being won by the same person for two months in a row before they get their coronation on Oscar night. That is bad television. It's There's no suspense to it. Right. And, 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 I, I, I but once in a blue moon, you'll get a surprise, but still not good. I agree with all of that, but there's still, I mean, best actor last year, best picture two years ago. There's always at least one major category in which we have no idea what's going to happen. But there's Usually still the, more than one. There's still the, you know, take the wind out of the room letdowns sure. of sure. the same person sweeping that we all just know. And, I mean, look, it, it's fun to watch it when it's someone you really care about. It Look, I, if you got the foam finger in the air for somebody, sometimes that's what you want to see. But wouldn't it be better if, you know, the the precursors had diff- had more categories and you went in to the Oscars with like, oh my god, these three actresses are the are the winningest of the season and they're now coming into best actress. Like last year's actress category was fun because different people won every show, Yeah, but right? how do you rectify that? You have to change the categories up at these precursor award shows. They have to be willing, and some of them are. Like, the Critics' Choice has... But the problem is the Critics' Choice just has more nominees, and Golden Globes have two categories, but the BAFTAs and the SAGs, they should have more categories. Yeah, but you're not... I I can't imagine a world in which the guilds are, like, not going to tell... The guilds, I think, have to think they're more important than the Oscars. Like I, we are, we are the, the we are guilds, your peers giving you the. But you are the best actor amongst your peers, right? Yeah, but they can. They wouldn't it be better if they had three best actors for these three cat, whatever it, whatever it is, have different categories. Oh, and I have, see. So you want you want them playing? Have like more? You want. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm that's better that. for their brands and their shows as well. Yeah, Let I'm the Oscars be the final category at the end of it. I think I think that is what they're missing. They need. I mean, you either got to lean into the competition or what they're saying now is like, look, we know we, we have coronations, which is fun and people like, so let's just have celebra- celebratory what? Celebratory montages otherwise? Yeah, that, like, that's what I'm worried. Like, is this just going to turn back into yes, yes. too many montages and too many promotions, promotional trailers, and too many hackneyed comedy sketches, sketches with overstuffed references to all the slates of film to that year and then that doesn't even represent your nominees because your nominees aren't representative to the whole film year and that's what you hit on uh with your first point like we don't have a cross section of the film year no stunt category etc etc no horror no genre films no blockbuster films they call them theme park movies we don't have a cross section to the year in film to the year in film that we cover in each of our years that we've covered it we don't have a proper cross section at the oscars at the end of it all it is garnered towards the theatrical and by that i mean you know the stage play adaptions or whatever and it is garnered toward the towards the art films unfortunately and it's a stubbornness on the Academy's part at this point. Like, they, we've been advocating for the last few years. There's popular films that have been done that are just as good. Like, I mean, we're, we'll get laughed at. I don't care. Avengers Endgame was worthy of being in the conversation. Mission Impossible Fallout was worthy of being having some kind of merit and consideration. There's the yeah. best of film that year. I don't care what their budgets were. The like, Dark Knight, Skyfall. Right. Uh, Hereditary. Uh, you know, us. You can go the horror route. You can go the genre route. I mean, these films are some of the best that that have ever been made in their genres 
but they're just dismissed by the academy because how do you, you know, how do you uh, compare Tony Collette and Hereditary to, you know, this biopic of this great musician? Like, that's the thing. That's why the precursors can sort that out with more categories if they all agree to have more categories. Yeah, best say. lead actor in a biopic or best lead actor, yeah. Let's have one show be the genre award show. That could be the critics' choice. They want it. You know, they want more cool shit anyway, right? To get mm-hmm. eyes on their product. And then maybe the Golden Globes, if they ever came back, or some show that took place of the Golden Globes, maybe the SAGs take the place of the Golden Globes, and they have comedy or musical, and they have drama. I don't mm-hmm. know. No, that's not a bad idea. I'm, I'm all for it now that you've explained it. I mean, that makes more sense to me. But I don't – just the overall idea that we're going to go towards – you know, we know we have a niche eye. We know we have niche tastes, but let's have a celebration of film. I mean, well, okay. Why are we watching? Well, if those films aren't also nominated, then okay, you're just paying like quote unquote lip service to right. It. You know, like it, if Avengers of Endgame is only in VFX and your montage shows all of the Avengers up there or whatever. You know, I mean, if you're just showing Lupita Nyong'o and us during mm-hmm. the the montages, but she's not nominated anywhere, and us is not nominated anywhere, what well, it, it does? I'm just mentioning those films as examples. No, I I, you're absolutely. I mean, that's when when they say a celebration, the first thing I thought of was montages, and like, okay, well, look, see, Avengers Endgame made the show, so now everyone can shut up. Now let's go back to celebrating this woman taking a shit in this bucket. <laughs> you know, like you're not gonna. I yeah, don't last think they year understand had problems. What a casual viewer is. <laughs> You had problems beyond. Well, yeah, <laughs> the simple yeah. TV mechanics of it all, yeah. the broadcast news mechanics back in the, you know, that they're all trying to figure out. But <laughs> should have made a joke about Green Book instead, maybe. Yeah, all yeah, right. Maybe. But it's got to change. I think they're they understand it's got to change. They just like you said, they're out of touch. They and 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 the purists. We love you. We want to be pure of heart like you are at times. Present all 24. I agree with the notion. I agree with the principle. I want to celebrate all levels of the film industry on the film industry's biggest night. We want the sound people getting their shout out on the biggest night. But I do think we got to make it fair to them and to the national TV audience. They shouldn't be six minutes of nonsense in there. Mm -hmm. Terrible TV. Get it out. Well, it's, Fix it seems like it's going to be out this year for, for at least one year mm. for good if the mm. Academy gets their way. Well, that was the big Oscars story. Like we said, we'll, we may do a calendar on the, the guilds. They, they plugged in their dates for nominations and for the, uh, the award shows, Mike. But we had a couple more follow-up stories on release date real estate. The first one hit at the end of last week. It was Top Gun Maverick moving into 2022. Mission Impossible 7 uh ghostbusters afterlife jackass forever all moved what are your takes this was paramount basically uh, shaking up their release schedule and abandoning 2021 altogether in terms of any more new releases hitting theaters there are two sequels they have on deck which they expect to be decent revenue producers maverick and jackass forever uh maverick doesn't have a date yet in 2022 jackass forever was supposed to come out uh, october 22nd that's now going to be february 4th 2022 and also wanted to shout out scott campbell of we got this covered.com he had a, a great recap on his article just kind of talking about paramount's last 18 months and all the different sales of ip that they've had to various other streaming networks to kind of keep themselves afloat uh and also worthy of note that paramount was the one uh behind a quiet place too which 
has been celebrated thus far for how they were able to do in a pandemic, and yeah. apparently not enough to Paramount's liking there. Uh, just something to keep in mind. Ghostbusters Afterlife is actually fusing your pandemic box office success principles all in one. It is a family film, and it is a quote-unquote a horror film. I, I really am mad at myself in that last episode where I didn't make that joke uh, yeah, on, but on your joke. The bigger joke is what the fuck is going on with Sony? Like, <laughs> So they take Ghostbusters... Sony does, and they're mm-hmm. going to take up Maverick's old spot, which was November 19th. Ghostbusters was supposed to be November 12th. They move it to the 19th, which means there's only going to be a five-day window, right now anyway, between Ghostbusters for Sony debuting and yeah. their next release, reboot, sequel, rebuquel, whatever, of Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, which is scheduled for the 24th, unless that's going to be moved too. But as of right now on the Sony website, those are the two release dates going on there. So that, combined with another story we have coming up about Sony, just what what is going on with Sony? Yeah, speaking of which, and we'll elaborate, Venom Let There Be Carnage surprised us by moving up and... We'll talk about how surprising that is now that we've sobered up to it, but they've moved up from the October 15th date, which you and I both said they're not going to stick on. Mm -hmm. We thought they'd move back, but they're not going to stick on that because a certain goo monster can't go against (laughs) a certain William Shatner-faced shape uh, in the same release date. So moved up two weeks, Venom Let There Be Carnage, October 1st. It's, I don't even have a theory as to what the hell's going on with Sony. No, sure right you now. do, though, right? I mean, you're overthinking it. You're going to put a, a, a couple good arguments, but Shang-Chi made huge money in early September. They think the box office is healthy again, so they move Venom up for some of that money. So why take the spot on the 15th at all? Like, look at look at the, the what's been know. going on with Venom, <laughs> right? Here's the tracking of the movement of Venom mm-hmm. that Sony has done thus far. They moved Venom 2 from September back a month to October, which we at the time said, what the hell is moving in a month to if you're that scared of COVID? Okay. Then there was a leaked rumor that had to have come from within Sony that Venom mm-hmm. is going to be moved to 2022, which forced executives to come out and talk to the trades and say, that's not the case. We're sticking it in October 15th. Now... With about four weeks to go until the start of October, they're moving it again up two weeks to the first weekend in October, which is probably where it should have been all along, considering that first week in October is the same week that Venom released. Venom 1 was released in 2018 that did almost a billion dollars worldwide. So, like, is there some higher up in Sony that's actively trying to mess with Venom's box office or something? I don't know. I, I don't think that they're trying to mess with the box office. I think that they're trying to capitalize on what's otherwise a September that's not really all that loaded with the theatrical releases. And October's going to be loaded, we now know. Mm-hmm. But there is an opportunity to mimic the box office they did on the first movie, which is probably what they wanted to do from the get-go if they had their druthers. So they probably saw this date kind of reopened when MGM said the Adams Family 2 is going day and date, when the Many Saints of Newark and HBO Max, when the day and date HBO Max titles didn't, you know, started with Reminiscence not doing as well on both platforms and really just being a boon for HBO Max instead of the theaters. So now theaters are looking at, all right, we, we got some time before No Time to Die. The problem is, and what I'm wondering is, what does this do for like the 
the holding patterns of all these films? How do they all keep making money on rewatches and rewatches if there's a big new thing every week? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we can talk about the calendar coming up and what this is going to look like because they're right now, barring any other big movements that come from out of nowhere, we have a loaded fall, which we said was going to be the case. It's like 14 week stretch from October 1st through the end of the year where you are going to get a giant movie, it seems. Every single week. We can just do a quick rundown of it. So the first we have Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and Titan, 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 <laughs> the car movie. Duh, duh. <laughs> it's coming out. Uh, we also have The Many Saints of Newark on HBO Max. we got The Guilty coming out on Netflix. The week after the first is the 8th. That's when No Time to Die drops. That's when Mass drops. That's when Lamb drops. The 15th is where Venom 2 was. It was was going to go head-to-head for a while there with Halloween Kills. Also, The Last Duel drops on the 15th. Also, Bergman Island, which we've previewed to death. Mm-hmm. Then you have Dune, The French Dispatch, and Ron's Gone Wrong on October 22nd. And then finishing out October on the 29th, you have Last Night in Soho and The Long awaited a horror movie antlers finally makes its debut yeah november is almost as loaded eternals starts off the month spencer is going to be that first week of november on the 5th the harder they fall opens on netflix belfast is going to be that second week of november we're going to have a lot more to say about belfast Mm -hmm. this episode passing and red notice are that same week on netflix red notice red notice a huge movie new trailer Mm -hmm. etc that ghostbusters afterlife is is moved to november 19th King Richard, Tick, Tick, Boom will be the streaming titles that week, heading into the Thanksgiving holiday where House of Gucci, Encanto, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, all new in theaters, Bruised will be the new Netflix film. And finishing out the year in December, it doesn't get any easier or any less loaded. Nightmare Alley on the 3rd, as well as The Power of the Dog dropping on the 1st on Netflix. December 10th, we have West Side Story. We also have The Unforgivable coming out on Netflix on that day. The 17th is Spider-Man No Way Home. Hand of God comes out the 15th on Netflix. 22nd, we have The King's Man, A Journal for Jordan, Sing 2. 25th, Cyrano. All in theaters and then streaming, we have The Matrix Resurrections on HBO Max. And Don't Look Up comes out Christmas Eve on Netflix. So how many Oscar race checkpoints do you want us to do? Jesus, right. I mean, how are we going to cover all these? (laughs) I don't know. We're just going to be like movie podcast, movie pod. That's every night of the the winter. Yeah. Oh, my God. So it's, it's a murderer's row. It's probably too crowded. So we may get some movement off of it, and that maybe that does not signify that the box office is going down the toilet. Maybe it just signifies that say, you know, say, hey, it's a little too congested. We can make more money later. But the question has always been for us, Mike: When do they have to make the money? Like we said that a while back, and maybe they're like, mm. we have to make the money now. We have to get theaters healthy again. It is what it is. Let's give it's them the funny product. that there's going to be this mad rush for everyone to try to recoup their money all in the same time frame of this three-month stretch here where the irony is everybody, every studio doing that at the same time may actually hurt their box office in the short run. Will there be some movie-going fatigue for people? Yeah. They're, they're just naturally, for the casual I mean, yeah, movie-goers... I, I don't know how a fair-weather movie fan... I, I mean, you're not seeing all these. Right. If you go to the movies once every other week, you're missing a lot of these. You're missing a lot. You just are. I mean, that's just if you have three hours every other week to your, every other week to yourself for free time to go to the movies and like check out a flick. We do. You're missing, but we're dorks. Four or five big ones. Yeah, 
<laughs> so you have to listen to our podcast a lot this fall. <laughs> the podcast is going to be <laughs> gangbusters. <laughs> crazy. Absolutely crazy. Anyway, speaking of Don't Look Up, we just got their teaser that expanded upon the Olympics TV spot, Mike. This will be one of three trailers that we review in this episode. But so is this a different trailer? This was this was not the exact same one that came out during the Olympics? It's not the exact same one, but it has okay. a lot of the exact same views, but yeah. it's just expanded. So the uh-huh. first half of this crosscut is with Leo in front of the mirror and quick like cutaways to the rest of the group. You have Tyler Perry and Kate Blanchett. They're doing a morning show together. Timothy Chalamet with giant... Taika Waititi, black matted hair under a, under a baseball cap. <laughs> Rob Morgan with a flip phone looking serious. Mark Rylance looking like he's in charge of Team America. <laughs> Top Gun Renegade. Exactly like that puppet. Uh, scary, actually. Uh, Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi. Uh, but the middle of that trailer goes into the, of course, Jonah Hill is the quote-unquote chief of staff to President Meryl Streep, who tells Leo that his breathing is stressing him out. <laughs> <laughs> and then you end with you end with them talking about how we, you know how many end of the world meetings we've had mm-hmm. one after another the ozone the <laughs> and then Leo gives you know J Law a look like he just saw a fucking hippie jump into his mm-hmm. pool man. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love this trailer. I'm, this is one of my most anticipated movies of the year. I think it's everyone one of everyone's most anticipated movies of the year. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it took Netflix so long to drop this. After everyone saw the teaser trailer that was released during the Olympics, why we needed to wait two to four weeks or whatever it was to get an HD version on YouTube, I, I, I'll never understand, but I'm glad we have it and it's here. If the credits of this trailer are anything to go by, this could be a huge showcase film for Rob Morgan, too. I who hope so. we've talked about and we love, but I don't know if he's necessarily a household name yet. This could get him propelled into that stratosphere because his name is actually listed third to Leo and J Laws in the credits. So maybe this could be a vehicle for him to make some noise in the supporting actor category as well, because this is going to be, a, a, I would think, as it lines up right now, how can you not think a Leo, Adam McKay, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep movie isn't going to be an awards player? Oh, I hope so. I hope he nails it. I'm, I'm a little worried that it hasn't, you know, hit any festivals yet. It still can with AFI, I suppose. I wonder if it's, it's finished. It's Netflix. It's Netflix, though. Maybe it may you know, you know they, they, they could take or leave uh, film festivals for the most part from what we've seen. It seems like if the auteur is passionate about getting in a film festival, Netflix will acquiesce. Mm. But I get the idea the more we talk about Netflix that they, you know, are you going to be shocked in a year or so when Netflix says, hey, we're doing our own film festival? Hmm. Right? They they just did their own Comic Con, right? Exactly. Tudum, the Tudum. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tudum. So there you go. It's just a shame to me that Leo already is disqualified from no matter how good this performance is from winning That's best right. lead actor. No, he is. You he know, just won you a know, he years is. ago. Which is the same excuse we'll have for the next ten to seven hundred years, apparently, <laughs> but only for him. Renee Zellweger, get in here. Here's your second one, buddy. Olivia Coleman, come back. Yeah. Come right on <laughs> yep. back. Yep. <laughs> anyway, all right, so. We have film festival reactions now, and we're reacting to the reactions. We'll put in a couple trailers in here. We're reacting to what went viral, and that's probably where we have to start because on the Venice red carpet, Kristen Stewart, short shorts jumpsuit that I think my grandma used to wear into her 80s. This is very Italian. I don't think your grandmother looked as good as Kristen Stewart. I am though. very rattled right now. Like I just, <laughs> I saw her. She looked gorgeous. 
This is my grandmother, of course. I'm Maybe your grandmother about. was a looker. No, back this then. is this Maybe is Chris, she's a looker now. Kristen Stewart looked gorgeous, skipping on the red carpet. I just remember the it's 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 an Italian suit that my grandma used to wear and Maybe she deserves. I don't know what you want me to do with this information. Man. No, I like it. I don't know what to do with the information. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. It's fucking weird. Sorry, Grammy. Sorry, You're trying I, to work your way swear. through I, something here. I know you don't want me to swear. No, it's just weird because it's the same. Kristen Stewart looked hot in it, but I, then I, my grandma used to wear it. That's what happened. I, just now, in I'm my sure brain. your grandmother was hot. She may still be hot for all we for all. I She's know. 91. God bless her. I don't know what you want me to do here. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no saving it. But if anybody won the weekend, it was my grand. I mean, Kristen Stewart. Damn it, Kristen Stewart <laughs> for Spencer. Because I was gonna make that joke and abandon what I have written down. <laughs> uh, yes, Kristen Stewart for Spencer won the weekend, and I believe those whose terminal illness was apparently cured by being seated for Dune, as some critics would have you believe with their yeah. hyperbolic Twitter reviews. Yeah, uh-huh. those were the real winners of this Venice Film Festival. My face is so red, Michael. <laughs> Really? I mean, you just kept digging, Mike. What, the, what else do I do with that? I guess I just move on. I don't know. I don't get a hundred times more awkward. Yeah. No, you're probably right. Look, we discussed Penelope Cruz and her buzz for Parallel Mothers. Olivia Coleman, we'll, we'll mention her later on yeah. as well. But the lost daughter, Scott Feinberg, thought she was Oscar worthy in that. Catriona Balf uh, from Belfast also receiving some serious lead actress buzz there from Kenneth Branagh's film, but Kristen Stewart owning the red carpets in Venice, being whisked away to the mountains of Colorado, charming the pants off of everybody, whether it's... (laughs) Go right to the Ed Thompson reference. I'm not not doing good here with this copy. (laughs) Ed Thompson, pants charmed off of her at, at Telluride, saying the best actress Oscar is hers to lose, referring to Kristen Stewart. David Long is tweeting at us with Las Vegas betting odds updates where Kristen Stewart went from a 10-1 to 1, uh, uh, before the weekend there to mm-hmm. a 2-1 to 1 betting favorite in Vegas. So the, the yeah. odds shortened like crazy for Kristen Stewart from Spencer. If you could find her at 2-1 to 1 too, I'd still th- I'd jump on it. I'd I, I, the value has been sucked almost dry out of that bet, but I have a feeling the longer this goes on, if she keeps this momentum sustained, that she's going to be a heavy betting favor. She's going to be a negative. You're going to have to pay a pretty hefty vig mm. just to get some action on her. So you might as well take her at two to one if you can get her. It's worth a lottery ticket right now. I know people still want to talk about Lady Gaga, and obviously, anytime a movie that's been has a lot of anticipation behind it finally is revealed, there is always money movement uh, with the betting lines. Totally. So you don't want to overreact, but yeah, I. She was everywhere this past week with these film festivals, and everybody was gushing over her performance in Spencer. Can't wait to see it. Uh, I think there. I hope there's a lot of merit to it, and I hope uh, a wider audience appreciates it just as much as it seems like every critic did. Well, the critics were also kind of unanimous on Benedict Cumberbatch, even though they were not necessarily unanimous on the power of the dog, Michael. Many of them using the word, quote-unquote, divisive. <laughs> So, (laughs) divisive is one of those words whose meaning has been completely altered when it's used by critics at film festivals, I've noticed, because, and especially with this year, Mm -hmm. we've seen, the film festival reviews are either 100% overly fawning, like, lovey-dovey, this is the greatest thing to ever happen to cinema, or it's 
divisive. The reception was divisive. And those are the only two options. You only get two options when you debut a film, apparently, this year at the major film festival. So divisive doesn't necessarily mean a significant portion of the audience may not have liked it. It could just mean that this movie didn't happen to cure COVID in a number of people, like apparently Dune did in Venice, and no, I will not stop with the shtick. It's the good. critics went crazy they went for crazy. Dune. I, I couldn't... I, I, I got so angry. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, everybody's saying it's the best blockbuster film in the last 10 years. And then you have other critics are like, no, it's not. Stop it. And, and, that, yeah. and that's cool, too. We like. The- I'm sure it's a beautiful movie. <laughs> well, the problem is we've been burned how many times, right? We've been burned from In the Heights this, just this year. I mean, the reception for In the Heights was that this is coming out of June, like immediately when it happens. In the Heights is coming out of June. It is going to win the hearts of everybody. Yeah. It is going to be this just celebration of, of the culture. And then there's backlash. And then obviously we see the movie and there's the movie, the movie's a B, B, high B, B plus, but it's not the greatest movie in the history of musicals. Come on. So we don't we don't hobnob. I mean, I mean you're going to go to New York Film Festival, but like, there's this is easy for me to criticize having someone that's being someone that's in the critic game but doesn't go to these film festivals and doesn't rub shoulders with the actors. But there's it, it's very hard mm-hmm. to be completely objective if you see someone's work one night and the next morning you're rubbing shoulders with them in the same place because you're just there. You know, like if you get to interact and you become friendly with the directors and the people who work on this movie and the the actors involved, of course you're not going to be complete. If there is a letdown, I'm not saying Dune is. I'm not saying Spencer is. I don't know. We haven't seen them, and I'm I'm just saying in general. Yeah. Like if you made a movie, Mike, mm-hmm. and I know the next day I'm going to see you, I'm not going to say, "Boy, that was a fucking piece of trash," <laughs> right? Like it's just imp- that's just human nature. You're not going to do that. The, I, the hot takes can be skewed towards the positive at a film festival. I have I don't have a problem with that necessarily. The problem with I, I think both of us are hitting on is the hyperbole. The hyperbole yes. is literally out of control. Yes. On the 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 tweet threads. Now, I do th- I th- I've been thinking about this a lot. I do think there's two skill sets involved here. Like a lot of these writers, a lot of these film critics are very good at writing the 700 word review, the 500 word review, the thousand word review of a movie. They work their asses off to watch as many movies in a day and to write as thoughtful of a response that, that they can to review the movie for us all afterwards. They, they work their butts off to do that. The problem is a lot of them are trying to tweet to be first right now in terms of their reactions. Or go viral. Yeah, they're trying to basically write headlines. They're right. writing the Rotten Tomato quote of, yes. above their name pull in quote. the tweet. And that's a totally different skill set than building out your review. Especially when you're literally tweeting right after you watch the film. Or even within a couple hours. If, if you get to see the film earlier and you have a, you know... You know, you have a uh, whatever a timetable when you could when you could tweet about it. Y- y- there's just totally, two totally different or totally, totally, totally different skill sets there, Mike. You you the I, editor's skill set, the headline writer's skill set is differently than the copywriter's skill set. Totally I a- I admire your critical thinking to get to that end game, that end point. I I think there is absolutely merit to what you're saying. 
mm-hmm. put maybe more simply in my cynical brain. Yeah. The idea, the the rush to get it out first and the rush to be the one to use the most unique adjectives and unique phrases. It's, it's been an over, I'm sure COVID has something to do with it. I'm sure people having to like sit back and sit at home a year. And this is what they do on a daily, on a yearly basis. They're able to go to these places and they do form these relationships. I'm sure being locked up inside had something to do with it. And maybe it's been amplified a bit, but man, it's been, it's been tough a couple times in just sitting back and reading these reviews and being the aggregator like we are here. I'll tell you this. I, again, I think the the people that have been doing it the longest and the best are, are still the same two people that we've been citing for a while here, Ann Thompson and Scott Feinberg. Mm-hmm. And how do they do it? Do they write Do they write? You know, glowing reviews with all the words that they could think of <laughs> Scott, for each film? Scott talking about Olivia Co- Yeah, she's going to be nominated again. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go have a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like, he's talking about his experience. Right. Right, and he's talking about the access, and he writes his one piece. Mm-hmm. And Ann Thompson did the same thing. She recorded her one podcast that was she poured all her info into that one podcast, and she poured all her info into her her one piece that she wrote. Maybe she wrote two pieces total for the weekend, but you could. See, I mean, th- there's so much to digest when you read one of those. I guess. I, I mean, people are writing maybe too much. I, I just don't see like we've done this too. We've done. The four movies in a day. We've done mm-hmm. the big premiere night movie. We've done the multiple screeners and screenings, and we've had those schedules for ourselves, Michael. They don't always end well. We made the same, I guess, not. it's not rookie mistakes, but we've overextended ourselves in the past. To do so and try and go viral on Twitter... It's just you're not going to put your best work out there, maybe. And I, I don't know. That's that's my guess at, at how I'm thinking about doing it for, for ourselves. Like, I'm going to go to the New York Film Festival. I'm going to see the two movies uh, a night, and I'm going to probably watch something on Woodstock Film Festival online. I'm going to try and do that, but I know, and I knew it back at Sundance, I can't watch the five movies and write reviews for all five movies. Mm-hmm. That's just not my place in the space, and that's not what you guys want me to do. And I wouldn't do that well especially with movies I don't like and especially when I'm drinking drinking a case of Bud Light. Mm. <laughs> well, all right. Let's uh now that we've pissed off the big critics. Let's see if we can piss off the little ones with this next story, Mike. <laughs> uh, should I give my book report to for the power of the dog though? Oh, yes, please. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh it's it's literally I, it's, a book report as you've been listening to the audiobook, right? Yeah, I I yeah. listened to the audiobook. I crushed it in less than a week, so it's totally listenable. Like, you will just mow it down. It's only eight Good. hours, eight podcasts, so easy listening, even though it's very difficult subject matter. But, look, I, I could see The Power of the Dog as a movie just listening to the audiobook. So that's a, a points in its favor. Thomas Savage really can write. Uh, Jane Campion, obviously, she can really direct. Uh, and I can't wait to see the film. Now, if people are calling it divisive because 1920s Montana – is going to kill a lot of animals on a ranch mm. and white men are going to be brutal and thinking is going to be ass backwards and archaic. If that's why it's device divisive, then I, of course, of course it's going to be divisive, mm-hmm. but I do think that Jane Campion is tackling this. And Thomas Savage wrote this story to be a scathing criticism of those times and of those brutalities. So 
I hope that's what comes across on the screen. Can't wait. To, I really can't wait to see that. Can't wait to see Dune. Can't wait to see. Can't wait to see all of these. And that's a uh, something I'm going to hammer a little bit later too. I, I like the fact that everything we've hyped up thus far, it, it, you know, say what you want about the the critic reviews and the the, the the headlines and all that. At least at the very worst, if divisive is the worst thing you can say about something, that's a good thing. Nothing's I falling like, flat on its face. I usually like divisive films. Yeah. That's true, too. I just do. Yeah, same here. And and we usually, you know, we like reviewing those. Those Mm -hmm. are some of our best reviews. Michael, Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain, please explain this to me. I tweeted this. It got no reaction, and I think it's maybe the best joke I ever made. So I'm going to just say it here again. But you remember when people... You know, like Oscar Isaac was canoodling Jessica Chastain on the red carpet and, like, nuzzled into her arm, gave her a little kiss on the arm, and, like... The first and only thing I thought of was, remember when people on film Twitter got all outraged when Lady Gaga performed with Bradley Cooper on the Oscar stage, and film Twitter got mad because there were other people saying how badly they wanted Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper to date, and they got mad because they thought it was disrespectful to Cooper's then-girlfriend? Right. Anyway, I just want to wish Jessica Chastain, congratulate her on four years of marriage to uh, Gianluca Passi de Pupusolo. So that's, that's my take here. Yeah, and Oscar Isaac's been married even longer. Like, what so, the fuck? Uh, are, are we picking and choosing? Like, the hypocrisy. The height uh-huh. of hypocrisy. These two are adorable, but the other two are outrageous. I think people just thought it was sexy, and it probably was. Because <laughs> you actually, if you get the other view, right, from mm-hmm. the where the cameras are being, you know, where, where all the paparazzi are, yeah. he's not even kissing her arm. He's just, like, nuzzling into it, and, oh, my God, that's even hotter. Yeah, well, probably because they're both married. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's not, like, yeah, he's not, like, overstepping, even though it's very familiar. And, it, yeah, they've just been kissing on set for a five-hour right. miniseries, even though they're arguing more than they're kissing, from scenes, sure. Fr- scenes from a marriage. In all seriousness, and this is another thing I tweeted, and it's just a stream of consciousness stuff, it's weird Jessica Chastain is doing so much film festival work for scenes from a marriage, and none so far for Eyes of Tammy Faye, right? That's yes, weird. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So that's why we're going to be on the lookout for TIFF this week for the Eyes of Tammy Faye uh, reactions. That's that's going to be something for the next episode. But, yeah, I made a bad joke. I don't know where your joke was. At least I made a failed joke that I immediately deleted on Twitter oh, that I, I thought even- was really bad, like, even after I said it. But I was like, it's really cool of uh, Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac to promote their next film, Getty Images. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, you laugh. You laugh. No, I like that. That's a good. That's decent. But nobody that's retweeted it. It was just hanging there. This and I'm the just staring at the, it. Was yeah. one of those. I'm staring at the screen because I thought it was good. Like for ten minutes. We just spent ten minutes yelling at critics <laughs> trying to go viral, and the next story. That was, was my chance. Yelling that at everyone was the else one. for not making us go viral. We're hypocrites, is what we're saying. Absolute hypocrites. Good. That was the tweet that should have went viral. Nobody, not a single person retweeted it. Not a single person liked it. And in shame, I deleted it and closed the laptop. That's was my shame. Yeah, but Dune's really good. <laughs> but Dune makes you jizz your pants. All right, Dune, the red carpet montage, which I did retweet and got retweets, by the way. As fun as hell, Mike. I, I missed these. Can Timothy Chalamet just wear anything? Is that where we're at right now? Yeah. He wore a bottle of glitter, essentially, on the red carpet. (laughs) And he looked great. He wore 
your four-year-old's tap dancing yeah, outfit. Yeah, for real. And he looked, at the recital. He looked outstanding. He and looked I also, by the way, I, I'd like to have a tournament of best-looking ensembles of all time. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, Chalamet's gorgeous, and Zendaya is otherworldly. My God. Rebecca Ferguson, Sharon Duncan Brewster, they all look like queens. Oscar Isaac, Javier Bardem, Dave Bautista, and Jason Momoa all in the same place at the same time is like the 1927 Yankees of middle-aged zaddy male attractiveness. Yeah, you're mixing a lot of uh, metaphors and influences there, but you're not wrong. <laughs> and you're doing it just for me, I think. I'm blinded by the gorgeous. I mean, these are all. this is the best-looking cast I've ever seen. It is. We're going to go to this movie and there's just going to be it's going to be eye candy for just because how beautiful all the people are all the, right. the ensemble is eye candy because of the dunes and the special effects and yeah, the more we talk about it the more i'm starting to understand why critics were going crazy over it you know jazz tanke saying it could be a craft sweep and you know reports conflicting reports michael about how long the standing ovation was was it six minutes was it seven was it eight I'm getting mad at these, but still. It's I don't a good know how summation. much more evidence anyone needs to hire us as the official timekeepers <laughs> of standing ovations at film festivals, but. Yeah, somebody we'll needs trying. a stopwatch. I mean, again, human error is 0. 0.3 seconds. <laughs> 0. 0.3 of one second. Of one second. You can't have human error between minutes. I mean, was everybody just that, you know, Charles Foster Kane gif, Orson Welles, just somebody keeps standing up and keeps the applause going yeah, the and problem one person is, doesn't count him and pro- everybody else does? The problem is everyone's just doing this for posterity's sake and nobody's taking this as seriously as we take it. Nobody really <laughs> knows right. because they're looking at their gosh darn watches on their cell phone and they're guesstimating. Mm-hmm. They're full of shit right, with exactly. the numbers. And we're trying to bring some integrity and class to this exercise. I'll have my big yellow stopwatch plus a backup mm-hmm. over my tuxedo, giving you precise <laughs> numberage. <laughs> Michael, Scott Feinberg at Telluride. Again, in that one awesome piece he wrote for The Hollywood Reporter, the, the headline was surrounding King Richard, a hugely tear-jerking and crowd-pleasing drama about how the father of tennis legends Venus Williams and Serena Williams set them on their path to greatness. It wowed the Galaxy Theater audience at its world premiere in Telluride on Thursday night. He says Will Smith is the frontrunner and lead actor, and the film could get nominated across the board. Yeah, Smith has, quote, several show-stopping scenes and monologues, and that it's hard to imagine many better performances coming this season. High praise from Scott. Uh, we're geniuses, having picked that performance as our lead yeah. actor uh, on the way two years early ago. Oscars broadcast two years in a row back-to-back champions as will smith look maybe we need to readjust our focus from thinking this is going to be a smith machine to having bigger aspirations for this movie because scott pitches the idea of this running for best picture and mm. i think maybe there's a sag ensemble non-possibility if, if you t- look more about what people have said about the two actresses playing the williams sisters as well there is a lot of talent attached to this i'm glad again this is like other things is living up to the hype that we've kind of set for it so far I was afraid that this was going to be an abusive father story, mm-hmm. and it does not seem to be the case. And that hopefully that's not the truth of the real life. Yeah. And if it's not the truth of the real life, then let's get a great sports movie. I, let's I'm, get a I'm great sports movie. When's the last time we had a great sports movie? So if this is a great sports movie, it's a huge crowd-pleasing tearjerker, and it's not, you know, what uh, the assumptions were going into the trailer, right, that they immediately solved in the first scene of the trailer mm-hmm. 
I, I, I can't wait to see this. And yeah, King Richard should play in four quadrants of, the, of audiences and to the Academy. Let's go. Uh, hopefully that's one we're going to keep our eye on and keep covering. Uh, Belfast is another one. Yeah, Sasha Stone wrote an awesome piece on Awards Daily, and the here's the M word, the Leo, Leo, Leo gif pointing at it. Belfast is a masterpiece, she says. Mm. <laughs> Seen a lot of love for Belfast uh, yeah. as well, and this is where I, I was happy. I mean, Belfast, I think, came out after the King Richard stuff came out, after the Dune stuff came out, after the Spencer stuff came out. So all these big ones that we've had our eye on have landed happily and in a, in a place of prominence with at least some major critics. Bel- I mean, again, if divisive is the worst thing you could say, Belfast has even escaped the divisive label and it's just supposedly really good. And it could be a serious threat, a serious awards contender. We could be really positioned for a year like no other because this is two years stuffed into one. Yeah, this is this is exciting because even you know Clayton Davis was tweeting out of me. He's like, "This is the first movie I've seen here where this can win, not mm. only be nominated, but this can win Best Picture." So that's fun, and we got a trailer uh, this week along with it, which I think feels very Oscar. Yeah, I mean, there are, I mean, there's one gorgeous shot after another, Mike. I, just from the start, you got the color of the the real city of Belfast present day going over this blue just sign that I, I don't know what you call those the the paintings the like graffiti. On, on this, not graffiti it's a mural right yeah well, it's, we it's street art it's it's still graffiti street art yeah. that blue street art harkening back to the protests and the wars in, in belfast over into the white alley the black and white 1969 very different than john mellicant's new jersey 1969 <laughs> this is bell the kenneth branagh's belfast of 1969 and katriona bath of outlander jamie dorman dornan of uh, del mar those are his parents his grandparents are judy dench and sharon hines my goodness this was just gorgeous i mean they have a scene at like a bar or just like a you know, a dive bar with the most beautiful lighting I've ever seen. Mm. I mean, Jamie Dornan's lifting Catriona in the air to Everlasting Love by Love Affair, which I've listened to five times today, which (laughs) I hope he's not limp-syncing in the movie. I hope he's actually singing in the movie. But that central light on Claire Fraser's face, my God. This looked beautiful. I I agree. There's definitely Oscar-y and awards-y vibes coming off the trailer of this. You have it written. I mean, you took my main take that this like feels like Irish Roma. Well, that's what I saw a lot, and and I I guess my Irish Roma take is actually that this seems a lot happier than I than than Roma. Like when you have everlasting love playing in the background throughout, it's tough to be a downer. (laughs) I would agree. Right, like Roma was just very cerebral i would say those trailers remember the marking of mm-hmm. it you know we had the montage but we're like oh look at the cinematography and okay we got to see it and you know uh, it wasn't th- like this is a celebrate like they gotta leave they know they gotta leave but they they don't want to it's a, it's amazing 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 trailer amazing uh stories told in both of these black and white trailers today Michael, and speaking of the second one, Clayton Davis wrote a lot of pieces on Variety. Dune, Cyrano, he had a, a lot of high praise for Cyrano. Encounter for Riz Ahmed, Red Rocket, Bergman Island, and he also wrote, I think, I think the 
his his biggest praise came for "Come On, Come On" from Mike Mills, starring Joaquin Phoenix. And I like the snark and the fighting stance that he had in, in <laughs> pushing back against jackasses like us, saying that critics were too hyperbolic and too complimentary. Because the the tweet read, "Cue social media annoyance that will that will call take hyperbolic and festival hype." I don't give a crap. "Come On, Come On" is the best written screenplay in over a decade. Top wow. two Joaquin Phoenix phoenix performances ever the find of the century in woody norman flat out masterpiece a lot of a lot of m words being thrown around but they stand by it a little hyperbolic but yeah i mean it just shows you that clayton davis really appreciated what was on uh on film there i wonder come on come on which is a trailer we had too that's also shot in black and white black and white has been like you know an awardsy trope but we usually Mm. don't get multiple awards awardsy films shot in black and white in the same year like these two are and passing will be as well so yeah i wonder if that might if that'll inadvertently hurt the acceptance i don't know i'm just thinking like of these weird things how like usually the black and white serious awards contender is something you take even more seriously because it's so unique and you don't really get that many black and white pictures and now we have three or at least two that that we think are going to be talking about in awards sentences coming up here in the coming months that are shot in kind of the same way. Well, this trailer was kind of a dirty trick. It was so good. I was mad at it because <laughs> like the voiceover the whole time, you think he's talking about the film. You think he's given his son like this big Oscar advice. Mm-hmm. turns out he's reading from a children's book and then he's crying at the end and you get one more note, one more funny joke between him and his kid. Yeah. Dad, you're crying. You know, and our friends are on Twitter talking about that today. I mean, this is a montage of Papa Joaquin in New York City. So I guess I'm questioning, like, is this a road? Like, this doesn't, I thought it was a road trip story. So maybe that's all act one stuff. I have my heart set on this being a Joker prequel. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. So, you know, I'm going to see this at New York Film Festival. And I'm cautiously optimistic that I can write my, you know, tweet filled with L-Y words coming out of it. (laughs) But I'm also... I also know that I'm just going to turn it into a bad Joker joke at the end of it, though, right? <laughs> We're at MM and Oscar on Twitter, folks. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> all right, it's great trailer. Hats off. Watch the trailers for both Belfast and Come On, Come On. Uh, and then shout out to Netflix again. They've been on a roll with their trailers. But let's finish this film festival reacting to the reaction segment with a Venice Telluride stock up, stock divisive segment michael (laughs) (laughs) parallel mothers the lost daughter we mentioned those penelope cruz olivia coleman i just watched broken embraces by the way with penelope cruz on motivar's 2009 film and madres paralelas is a script that the protagonist wrote in that film from 2009 which is by the way one of his one of my favorite almodovar films so is this like cinematic universe building we got the Almodovar CU, <laughs> the Pedro CU, baby. Love it. Uh, Flea got a ton more love at Telluride. Matt Negley of Next Best Picture, his second favorite movie of, you know, he has his top 10. I won't spoil it. Go on Twitter there. And uh, it's cool to see Matt still loving Flea. The Rescue, which I'm going to see at Woodstock, best doc feature hype right now the heroes from that rescue again this is the makers of free solo mm-hmm. were greeting the audience coming out of that first telluride screen yeah How but that's that? what i mean like so talk bad about that movie after that happens <laughs> mm-hmm. like come on <laughs> good point good point how do you talk yeah no it's it's true anyway stock device of mike 
the hand of God, getting a lot of praise, but some criticism that it might have a disjointed story. The card counter, this is Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Paul Schrader, might be a convoluted plot, which we kind of guessed from the trailer. And still my heart, Michael. Last yeah. night in Soho from Edgar Wright, Thomason McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matthew Smith, falls apart in the third act. Mm. I mean, we just got a huge new trailer today where I thought this actually fixed some of the tonal issues of the first trailer. And everybody's like, it's going so well. And then the third act is a problem for an Edgar Wright film? No, mm. straight ain't so. Mm. I did see more than a couple critics slapped out. Uh, last night in Soho with the divisive uh, label there on film mm. Twitter over the the, uh, the past weekend. But, you know, I, look, feel free to call this making excuses for a director or two that I like anyway, but like like no shit in Edgar Wright movie and a Paul Schrader movie are going to be polarizing. Like, I don't mm. think that's they're not made for everybody. And like, do you not understand the conditions needed for an Edgar Wright movie or especially a Schrader movie to be a no doubt slam dunk best picture content? First Reformed was probably as close as we'll ever get a couple years ago. And that movie was first reformed. And if you've seen that movie, you know why I have this tone of voice right now. So yeah, it, it, yeah. I don't know that those guys from movies from those guys are ever going to be no doubters or not going to have their detractors or anything like that. So Still excited to see both of those. Still excited to see the entire lineup. We haven't really gotten, and again, if, if every critic's going to, at worst, say something's divisive, we're not going to get. But we haven't really gotten anything where a bunch of critics have come out, a bunch of voices we trusted and, and, and look at and have all said, this is a bomb, this is not worth your time, this is no good, et cetera, et cetera. That gives yeah. me hope for this award season. I, I agree with you, and I and I at the end of the day, they're probably in the ballpark, like you said, even if it's some hyperbole. Like we said, mm-hmm. like Clayton, you know, mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they're in the ballpark, we don't have the bombs, and that's—I <laughs> don't know what I'm—I mean, I have 17 metaphors going through my head <laughs> right now. I'm really right. rattled that the Edgar Wright movie wasn't given universal praise. So we're gonna have to follow Tiff next week. What does the Last Night in Soho premiere? their North American premiere say about last night in Soho. We'll see. What had you more rattled? Edgar Wright's reception or your grandmother being hot? My grandmother wore the same <laughs> in her eighties, late into her eighties, Mike, the same thing that Kristen Stewart wore at Venice. All right. I'm just asking That's questions. What happened. Man. That's all I'm just saying that happened. I'm just here. I'm just here. I have thoughts, you know? <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> well, we did it. A lot of information, a lot of stuff covering a lot of film festival news and industry news uh, in just about or maybe over an hour, depending on how the edit of this episode goes. What always as what as always matters most to us, though, dear listener, are your thoughts. Do you have any takes at all about anything that was uh, premiered, debuted or reviewed at any of these film festivals? Any takes on the industry news or the possible Oscars changes? You could leave us those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias we are mike mike and oscar on facebook and instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available everywhere you hear podcasts uh including and especially on the apple podcast app and if you're listening to us there right now if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review if you appreciate what we do here we would truly appreciate that from you michael We've already kind of talked about this whole episode, what's coming next from us, but let the people know for sure, and let's have some words of wisdom to end on. 
Yeah, so we're going to record Monday an Oscar race checkpoint that'll be able to react to uh, the Venice Golden Lion and the Venice Awards. We will also be pushing like our reactions to the London Film Festival lineup, and we'll, we will be reacting to the reactions at TIFF. So TIFF starts the end of this week. Like we said, we got a bunch of trailers that we may carry over. The Matrix Resurrections is going to be a yeah. big one that we probably got to react to for certain. That's a that's a you know a franchise that has had it quite the impact on both our lives growing up, mm-hmm. uh, being when we did grow up. So we'll be covering the Matrix Res- Re- Resurrections. I got to rewatch and that it, trilogy. It's been, I don't think I've rewatched yeah. it in years. Been a while. I know the first movie's great. Mm-hmm. The, the last movies are tough to rewatch. Like yep. I remember being. I'll be honest with you. And people who remember me back then in high school, I liked them in high school because I was like taking my first philosophy classes, and I was like, "This is the coolest philosophy lesson I've ever had." <laughs> Trying to rewatch those three-hour movies, older, they don't hold up. Yeah, they're, wasn't that they're good, rough? Huh? All right, no. Well, maybe the fourth one will bring you back in and on a high note. I hope so. Me I'm too. rooting for the Wachowskis. Me too. And uh, by the way, uh, we're recording this on the 8th. I believe you won't hear this until the 9th. And by that time, the embargo will have been lifted. I believe Halloween Kills will have had its debut. Right. Um, if Dune... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're laughing because you know where I'm going with this. If uh-huh. Dune and Spencer and all these movies are so great, <laughs> if I read a single negative word about Halloween Kills... <laughs> I will just snap. <laughs> so the words of wisdom are... <laughs> I don't fanaticism. care how good or bad the movie is. You understand? If you say one negative thing, I will come for my... my I want heads. I want heads. I want heads. That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> I don't know. We... D- I, but how much stock are you putting into the film critics at Venice? At the end of Venice, these people can't say one fucking negative thing about any movie but Halloween. I don't know. I, we don't know yet, Michael. You're jumping to conclusions again. Well, this, this, will, this is my mind. This is this. I'm telling you my thought process of what it will be if I see that. They're going to give a tribute award to Jamie Lee Curtis. She's going to be there. Can you imagine, like, oh, we met the actual heroes from The Rescue of The Rescue. It's the greatest documentary of all time. Yeah, we saw Jamie Lee Curtis get this Lifetime Achievement Award. Boy, that movie stunk. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what they're going to say. I guess then I'll at least, like, at some level I'd have to respect it because I'd be like... You'd have to respect it. Well, that's what I'm saying. You'd have to... That's our text message chain yesterday was basically me at the end of it all. (laughs) We said a lot of evil things. Was just saying you'd have to respect it if they didn't like it. Yeah. At that point. But I won't, because I too am a hypocrite. So <laughs> we're all hypocrites. Right. There's the words this of wisdom. Is, that, that is that is wise words, if ever there were any, for the uh, movie film industry and the critic industry as well. Uh, guys, hopefully we had some laughs. Hopefully uh, we filled you in on a little bit of news. But as always, when reality sucks. You can come check out and recap these film festivals with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.